about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Well, good evening. Uh, it's good to be with you. Well, those lights are really bright tonight. I wonder if we can get them to go down a bit. Although, hello to everybody watching online. It's, uh, I hope you're doing okay. Um, I'll introduce myself because there's some faces I don't know, and even if there's not, I can't see you anyway because I'm being blinded. Um, Andrew is my name. I'm the senior minister here. Um, and we are talking today as a church, seriously, this is actually overwhelming. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's really bright. Um, okay, there you go. Oh, Rocky, I wore a nice shirt. We're talking today about, it, we've called it Vision Sunday. Okay, if you got the weekly email, you will have, you will have seen this. Um, and we're talking today about what's next for our church, particularly next year. Uh, in, after, after the sermon, a bit later on, I'm going to talk a bit about what I think is next, what, what we're doing as a whole church, what we've been doing this year and where we've got to. 
Uh, we're imagining possibilities, we're making plans. Uh, we're seeing reasons for confidence and encouragement. We're trying to, be, trying to kind of be a bit excited about the future. And actually, can I just say, the finances are, are, have excited me. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away uh, by the way uh, our situation has changed this year. I'm full of thanks for that. But I want to begin this evening by asking, are, are we being naive? Are we being foolish to look forward, seeking to grow? Are we being foolish to be excited about the future? Uh, aren't there a bunch of things that we're not talking about that really should put a break on our enthusiasm? Actually, there are. There are challenges before us as a church. There are weaknesses in our life together. And there are wider forces in the world that, whether we like it or not, will shape this church over the years to come. At a simple level, there are just lots of things in our church life that are pretty fragile. I don't know if you know, but we have seven heritage-listed buildings to worry about as a parish. If you know anything about heritage listing, you'll know that that is kind of lovely and kind of a bummer. And all of those buildings pose smaller or larger financial risks and otherwise. We're also always totally reliant on volunteers. Uh, which means there are constantly vulnerable points in our life together. Uh, there's a guy called Michael German who goes to the morning service. If he ever got hit by a bus, there would be all sorts of things about our AV setup that nobody would understand. Now, we are working on that, and there are a couple of people who are helping us out, which is wonderful, but it kind of, sometimes I wake up at night worrying about that. Um, you know, if, if Laura Yates broke her leg, you wouldn't believe how many things would suddenly stop happening. All of us are weak, broken people who can get sick, whose lives can come unstuck, who can make dumb decisions. All sorts of things could derail any number of our plans. At a much wider level, though, there are forces in the world today and in society that are out of our hands. Changes to the law can throw aspects of our life together into confusion. Economic developments can make a mess of things for us. There are wars and rumours of wars on the horizon. As well as the approach of massive global disruption due to the changing climate. And we're all too aware, aren't we, of the pandemic and of the risks that it poses and the problems that it might pose again next year and in the years to come. But as well as all of this, if we're honest, there is also a challenge that I think a lot of us feel deep in our hearts. That's the challenge of a growing resistance to Christian faith in the world around us. We live in one of the most secular areas of Sydney, in which open hostility to traditional Christianity is not that hard to find. Faith in Jesus can seem here like a rare flower in a building site, destined, surely, to be either accidentally or deliberately bulldozed. This is a tumultuous, 
uncertain time in a fairly inhospitable place. So are we right to try and get excited about the future and to look forward with hope? Do we really dare to make plans to be bold in our witness? Yes, we dare. And Isaiah 55, our passage for this evening, reminds us why. It's the end of our sermon series on Isaiah. It's a wonderful place to stop for now. And it reminds us of three reasons why we can look to the future with hope. For some reason, um, the font has been messed up. You probably haven't noticed this, but it kind of is going to irritate me, so I'll just get it out of the way now. I had it in a more easy-to-see non-serif font. I like serif fonts, but not for PowerPoint. So if it looks a bit small later on, I'm really sorry about that. But here are the three reasons that Isaiah tells us we can be bold, we can look forward with hope. First, we have an invitation to share that is profoundly good. Second, we know the holiness and grace of God. And third, we can be confident because God has spoken his word. And where there is the word of God, there is never reason to despair. Okay, so let's begin first with a good invitation. Isaiah chapter 55, you've got it there on your sermon outlines. It's the first bit. The second half is a prayer that um, I'll, I'll mention later on. But um, the first bit is Isaiah 55, but I'll put some of the verses on screen. Isaiah 55 begins with an invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. How good this must have sounded to the Jews who were captive in Babylon to whom Isaiah first spoke. They were poor and enslaved in a strange land, far from home. Their life was not full of comforts. Come on, says Isaiah, come share in good things, wine and milk, not together, I assume. That's gross. These good things of life, somehow these good things, Isaiah says, they've been opened up to you. You're welcome. Isaiah then goes on to gently call them back from the other things that they've put their hope in. Verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. This isn't a harsh rebuke. Why spend money? It's not, it's not harsh. It's, a, it's an invitation to come to themselves and to turn away from foolishness. Stop giving yourself, says Isaiah, to things that don't actually benefit you. Stop looking for life in the wrong places. The richest affair is right here, says Isaiah. Come on. Hear this invitation. Isaiah then goes on to fill out this invitation and to explain what is being promised to Israel. I won't read verses 3 to 5 again. I'll just highlight that, that Isaiah says, he speaks of David and God's promised covenant to David, his everlasting covenant. David was the name of Israel's greatest king. If you go back, you can find, uh, especially in, in, chap in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
uh, God makes amazing promises to King David. And he says he will make an everlasting covenant with him. And all Israel's hopes are kind of loaded up in this covenant. And now Isaiah says that is coming to you. And, and that's an extraordinary thing. It's an extraordinary thing that Isaiah says these promises to David, this everlasting covenant, that's still open. This still stands. I'll tell you why it's extraordinary, because it looked like all of that, all of that older stuff, those old promises, it looked like all of that had been shattered when the Babylonian armies came, as we've talked about through this series, and demolished Jerusalem. It looked like all of that was over. God's promises to David had just come to nothing. It wasn't God's fault, it was Israel's. The whole time they had just totally failed to keep their end of the covenant. But now God says, no, the promises stand. My love for David remains and you are invited into it. And you know, this is why this invitation in Isaiah is our invitation today as well. For the promises made to David were fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came in David's line as Israel's Messiah, Israel's last and true king. And with Jesus came the everlasting covenant. And that is why in the Gospels, Jesus takes up this invitation from Isaiah and he takes it on his own lips and he extends it. Have a look here from John's Gospel. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Do you, do you notice that image? He's taking Isaiah's invitation there. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And listen to these words in Matthew's gospel. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus, come and find rest. Come to me, who you, you who are thirsty, and drink. Jesus called people. He invited them to come and discover, like Isaiah spoke of, what would really satisfy, what would really give life and peace and would really quench their thirst. Friends, we have a really good invitation to share. What we have is not just morals or commands or instruction or advice. What we have is not just a nice community to be a part of. Well, I hope we do have that, I think we do, but we don't just have that. Nor an institution or a tradition to help maintain or an opportunity to contribute. No, we've got something much more than all those things we have a beautiful welcome invitation, an offer of something that everyone actually needs. It is good news for the poor and for the thirsty, for those who are looking in the wrong places. We have an invitation to a banquet that is the secret of all our longings. We get to say to the world, hey, look, Look, here it is. 
here is the thing you've been searching for. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. We've got a good invitation to share. That's a reason to be deeply hopeful, I think. That's the first reason. Here's the second. The second reason Isaiah reminds us that we may be hopeful is that we know that God is the gracious and holy God. In verse 6, Isaiah's invitation turns into a call to repent. But it is a call to repent that is full of confidence in God's forgiveness. Listen to it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. There's an urgency to this. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. This is a clear, plain-spoken call to repent, to turn away from sin. There's no point pretending it's anything else. Right? God says, you guys need to turn around. The wicked need to forsake their way. The unrighteous need to forsake their thoughts, turn away from them because they're bad ways. They're evil thoughts. But notice the confidence here. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. This is why repentance is possible. In fact, it's why it is the only sensible thing, because God will have mercy. He will forgive. And straight away, Isaiah goes on to remind us why this is, why repentance is needed, and also why it is possible. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. Neither are, my ways your, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, this is why repentance is necessary. Because God is the holy God. He is above us in the most profound sense. His ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. This is why the wicked must turn from their ways and the unrighteous must turn from their thoughts because although they might seem kind of ordinary to us, these ways and thoughts, when, when they're seen in the light of God's perfect goodness, they're ugly. But here is also why repentance is possible. Because God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. What do I mean by that? Well, what are our ways and our thoughts? Even at their very best, they are only human ways and human thoughts. And so we have to choose between justice and mercy. We have to choose between what is right and what makes for peace. We cannot give life to the dead. And so our ways are always compromises, always failing to tell the truth truly and fully. But here's the thing. It really isn't like that with God. 
As we've seen throughout this series, and really this is the key to the whole book of Isaiah, God's salvation is his righteousness. His justice is his mercy. His ways are higher than our ways because in him holiness and forgiveness come together. I said the whole book of Isaiah is about this, and uh, I, I really think it is. If you have the chance after this service or this week, go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's first experience of God, himself as a prophet, is characterized by this experience of holiness and grace coming together. I'll just tell you the story now, because it's a great story. I'm going a bit off, off piece, but we'll survive. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he he tells the story of how he went into the temple and he had a vision of God. And his reaction is to say, I'm dead. He says, woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. And he's seen God and, and he's seen God surrounded by angels and he thinks, I'm dead. This holy God can only, I'm unclean, I can't stand in his presence. And then something, something incredible and unexpected happens. One of the seraphs, these angels, takes a coal from the altar. It's all like really full of fire and freaky. And he flies to Isaiah and, you know, scary image and Isaiah's thinking, I'm dead. And, and he touches the coal to Isaiah's lips And he says, now this has touched your lips, your sin is taken away. Isaiah comes into the presence of the holy God and God's holiness doesn't mean his destruction, it means his forgiveness. And the whole of Isaiah tells that story and we saw the climax of it two weeks ago when Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant. Because this truth that Isaiah speaks of, we see above all in the cross. There we see the holiness of God, his being above us. And we see it appear as the grace of God. His mercy to us. We see his righteousness come as salvation. And this, friends, is the deepest reason why we can and must be bold as a church. And as individuals, because we know the extraordinary grace and holiness of God. A grace and holiness that are one in the cross. And that hold out a promise of forgiveness. We have a word that is good news for everyone. Because it is a word of God's sure mercy. He will have mercy. He will pardon We need not doubt it. You need not doubt it. You need not doubt it. You need not worry that your sins, your mistakes, your thoughts, you need not worry that they are too ugly for God, that you are too compromised, corrupted, muddied, unclean. Yes, his thoughts are not your thoughts. Yes, his ways are not my ways. 
they are much higher. Much higher. How higher? Higher precisely by being thoughts of mercy. Ways of forgiveness. By making atonement on the cross that is more powerful than any sin of yours or mine or anyone else's. You know, that is just a reason to be hopeful, right? Because we know the surprising and transcendent and holy grace of God. It's not, it's not just a nice idea, it's big and powerful and extraordinary. But finally, Isaiah gives us one more reason to be bold as we look forward, and that is his reminder of what the Word of God is and means. Have a look at verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God is like rain falling on the earth. It is effective. The point is meant to be a simple one. If grass and plants get water, they grow. It's a basic condition of life on earth, but I'll just double check. Phil and Liz are here and they run the community garden. Is this true? That water creates growth in plants. True. There we go. It's, a, it's meant to be a simple point, and Isaiah says, just like that, where the word of God falls, we must expect it to achieve its purpose. And the point here is that God's word has fallen and it continues to fall. God has given his word. He has given his promise. And so we can be sure that the word is doing his work, its work. Jesus drew upon the images in this passage to talk about his own work. Perhaps his most well-known parable speaks of a sower Sowing seed that falls on the ground. The image is there in verse 10. Yield seed for the sower. I'm sure that's where Jesus got the image. And Jesus says the seed is the word of God. It falls on the ground and it does its work. It's not a direct match, but the images are the same. Jesus wanted his disciples to have confidence that the message of the kingdom would do its work. This is what the kingdom of God is like, said Jesus. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Let me tell you, this is exactly what it was like preaching in lockdown to a camera. Scattering seed, no idea what's happening. But it does its work. Brothers and sisters, we may have confidence to look forward to strive together for the faith of the gospel because God has spoken his word and it is mighty. It's mighty. It is true that we face many challenges and risks. Sometimes I, I do. I wake up at night worrying about little things that could go wrong, problems that could balloon into big issues. 
there will be challenges again, perhaps probably tougher than we have faced this year. Christian faith will indeed be like a rare flower in a building site, exposed, vulnerable. But ah, there is the Word of God. The mighty Word of the Lord which falls like rain upon the earth and gives life, which brings growth and fruitfulness and hope, which can be as small as a mustard seed and yet grow to be the biggest of all trees. Where that word falls, one flower can become a garden of Eden. And that word is the good news of Jesus with which we have been entrusted. It's not some other magic word that we don't have. It's the message of Jesus. That's the word of God which does its work. And so however things may look and seem, whatever muck we may have to wade through, whatever setbacks we face as a church, the future will always remain bright as day. In the end, the word will do its work. And the kingdom of God will appear just as Isaiah promised. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. The myrtle is a beautiful tree. This will be for the Lord's renown. An everlasting sign that will endure forever. In a minute, I'm going to talk a bit about where we are headed next year and what might be before us. Can I promise that any of that, what I'm going to say and what we might plan, is going to be smooth sailing? No. Can we know for certain the plans we have made and are making as a church are the right ones? Not at all. But can we be confident to look ahead and hopeful as we seek to take the next steps as a church? And can we expect in the long run to succeed in the ways that matter? Yes. Absolutely. For we have a very good invitation for the world, grounded in the incredible, holy grace of God. And he has given his word to achieve it, and it will not return to him empty. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.